And welcome to Adelaide Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Well, we're not in the short rows yet, but we can see them right now. We're getting toward the end of the college baseball season and SEC play. We have six SEC weekends in the book right now. The Bulldogs find themselves at 11-7 in the SEC West and two games behind Arkansas. When you look at the overall league standings, Vanderbilt leading the SEC along with Arkansas at 13-5. and Tennessee is a 12-6, and and then State, Florida, and South Carolina are all tied for fourth right now in the overall SEC standings. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. And, Charlie, looking back at this past weekend, State and Vandy split the first two on the road in Nashville. Vandy comes back with a big fourth and fifth innings in the Sunday game, and Vanderbilt wins it 7-4. We had the early lead in that game, 4 to nothing. Vandy was able to kind of quieten things down with their bullpen. They got it to Maldonado at the end. At the end of the day, good series, two really good baseball teams. We just kind of went silent with our bats in the last six at-bats. Missed some opportunities early in that ball game too. You were up four to nothing. You had a chance to do some more damage with a two-out hit here or there. If you get one of those, perhaps a different ball game. But as it stands, you did what you really had to do. Obviously, you wanted to win the series. You had to take one. You just could not afford to go to Nashville and get swept. So the Bulldogs able to get that one in. Look, still in the thick of things here in the SEC. And look, we are at the point of the season. We said all along that this schedule was loaded through the first six weeks. Right now, three of your last four weekends are against teams currently with losing records in SEC play. Missouri last in the East. You've got Texas A&M next to last in the West. Alabama a little better, but a team at 8-10. and 10. South Carolina, the team that left on your schedule, who looks to be a legitimate top 20 team. But you got to take advantage. Now's the time. We've been saying you had to just do enough in the first part. We did that, but now you got to go win. What's the hardest thing to do? Is it now do you put more pressure on yourselves on weekends like this? And this that's the thing that cannot afford to happen. If you're a player, if you're a coach or anyone is trying to put too much pressure on yourself in a must win situation because it has to be you has to have you have to have the same thought process. But when you get to this point of the season, these are games you have to win. Texas A&M has really struggled coming into this season. Big three game series here in Startwell. Hey, I kind of got on you early in the year saying, hey, we didn't have to have a sweep against Kentucky. It looks really good right now. We didn't have to have a sweep against Arkansas. looks good right now. Or, excuse me, Auburn. It looks good right now. Yeah, that Arkansas sweep doesn't look so great. No, that Arkansas one kind of three steps forward, three steps back. But this is a weekend where State really has to do some damage against the Texas A&M team is kind of reeling a little bit. I think you're at a point where in terms of what is a must win – The series itself is a must-win. You have to get two. You absolutely have to get two out of this weekend. There's no reason that you shouldn't. But at some point, I keep going back to this idea of I would love to get to 20 wins in league play. you got to win nine of your last 12 to get there. And And, this is the time to get three. And it's possible. It's not like we're fighting an uphill battle right here. That's possible to do. Got a good show for you today. We're going to talk to Mark Johnson, who was a former assistant coach at Mississippi State, 1977 to 1982, coached under Ron Polk. And and during those days, it was just two coaches, and then he had a bunch of GAs. And so he left here, went to Texas A&M, became the head coach at Texas A&M, coached out there for a long time. And now he is the SEC Network Plus analyst. He does exactly what Charlie does for the SEC Network Plus broadcast of Texas A&M. He's not the play-by-play guy. 
which means he's the guy that knows baseball. You know baseball. Mark Johnson knows baseball. Yeah, I was going to say, let's hope they don't slap resumes on the screen because I'm in trouble <laughs> if we ever get in that one. But then we're going to talk to Will Clark. Will Clark, of course, you know who he is and the job he did at Mississippi State, the Golden Spikes Award winner in 1985, went on to have a great major league career. And we're going to talk to Will, got some questions want to ask him, and just about some hitting. We talked hitting, we talked pitching over the last couple of weeks. We've had some great conversations with some guys talking about just hitting and pitching, and I want to talk to Will about some hitting as well. So a good show for you today. And once again, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Check them out at favorites.com. They have the best rates in the state of Mississippi. And if you even have some other company that has the same rates, they have the best service, great service. That's what they're built on. That is what, to me, is the biggest advantage of going with Farm Bureau is you know the service that you're going to get from great local agents throughout the state of Mississippi. So thanks to our good friends Henry Hamill and the gang at Farm Bureau. And once again, we're presented by Farm Bureau. So when we come back, we'll go to the phones and we'll talk to Mark Johnson, former assistant coach at Mississippi State, former head coach at Texas A&M, and we'll get the, the lowdown on this year's 2021 Texas A&M Aggies. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Now, welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Let's go to the phones and have a conversation with Mark Johnson, the former head coach at Texas A&M. He actually spent six years for under coach Ron Polk at Mississippi State from 1977 to 1982. Just a great guy. Can't wait to talk to him about some of his times here at State and then turning uh, Aggie baseball into a really strong power in the late 1980s. He's now on the SEC Network Plus broadcast of Texas A&M. He does kind of what me and Charlie do for Texas A&M. So, and this conversation is brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing made at Country Meat Packers on Highway 49 in Florence. They've got the great storefront for all your tailgating needs, but, of course, that old staple, Country Pleasing Sausage, the original jalapeno cheddar. They've got a lot of new lines out, and everything is great. Check them out at your local grocer. If you can't find it, go to countrypleasing.com. They'll ship it to you. But just a great Mississippi-made product, something that you can be proud of, and it's a really, really good product. And this conversation brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Well, let's go to the phones and talk to a former Mississippi State assistant coach, the former head coach at Texas A&M, and now does a lot of work with the SEC Network Plus with Texas A&M. Mark Johnson joins us. Coach, appreciate you taking some time out of your day to talk with us. No, it's always honored uh, to talk to people from the Starkville, the Bulldog people. Uh, we had a uh, we lived there six years and had a great experience there, and uh, very fond of of the people in Starkville. Coach, I was talking to Coach Polk this morning, and he said, "Listen, if you're going to talk to Mark Johnson, Mississippi State fan base has owes a debt of gratitude toward Mark Johnson because." He was a winning coach in a College World Series game, and not many people know that. Do you remember that back in 1981 of having to coach in the College World Series? Yeah, I uh, Don Mundy was the pitcher. Ron was the head coach for about uh, five minutes, and then uh, and then I was on. So it, yeah, it was a, a nervous thing. I, I wasn't prepared for that. I but I had 
I, Ron had allowed me to call the offense uh, the whole time I was there. So I'd coach third. I'd, I'd call all the offensive plays. And, and we had a good pitcher going. I was hoping he was going to stay out there a while so I wouldn't have to make too many decisions. And he did. And uh, we won. And so it was all good. It's kind of funny. Don Mundy threw a six-hit shutout in that game. And Mark Gillespie had a three-run home run. And we won that game 4 to nothing over Michigan. So you didn't have to make many moves at all. No, no, it was uh, it was easy. But of course, I tell him I made some key moves, you know, and we got some <laughs> runs and uh, pitcher threw well when I gave him the right signs. And uh, so, yeah, no, I uh, I was I was thankful that uh, the guys, uh, the whole team performed really well uh, in the College World Series, their first first game, and so it was good. I think back and you pull out stats from that late seventies, early eighties period, and. There's two guys that really jump to mind offensively, and that's Bruce Castoria and Mark Gillespie. What are your memories of those guys as hitters at Mississippi State? Well, I have such fond memories of those guys. They were great players. Uh, Bruce Castoria, we had recruited him from up in the Northeast, and he had come down with his family, uh, checked into school and stuff. And that afternoon, he came by Ron's office and said, can I get the balls? And I want to hit out on the field. And I want my dad to see me, and uh, and they're not going to be able to stay long. And so, you know, reluctantly, Ron did. And, of course, we couldn't go out or anything. But we watched from the windows up uh, and watched him. And he, he was measuring him, uh, measuring the fence, and he was a home run hitting guy. And, and he didn't have trouble getting him out of that duty noble. And, uh, and uh, from that point on, he hit home runs. Was an outstanding hitter, uh, you know, and he, he was the guy, they had to pitch around and, uh, could really damage things quickly. So he was an outstanding power guy. I, you know, I think he was 34, or some, uh, something like that, home runs. But then uh, Mark uh, Gillespie was an outstanding right fielder. Uh, he could run, he could throw. I mean, he had tools that, that were really good. And I, I, he wasn't a guy, he, he had his personality uh, when he swung. He, it wasn't a, a perfect swing, but it was a perfect swing for him. And the best thing I did for him was was not coach him up too much because he he was pretty much there and uh, but he was a, a special special player and now a policeman in Omaha, Nebraska. How about that? Absolutely. And so you were here what 1977 to 1982. Then you make that move to to go out west to, to College Station, and you know you start talking about the SEC, about Ron Polk, about Skip Bertman. But then you look in the old Southwest Conference and the success that you guys began to have in the mid nineteen eighties to late nineteen eighties of going to the College World Series and whatnot. What did you take from your time at Mississippi State and translate into being a head coach and a successful head coach at Texas A and M? Well, I had had the fortune. I was at University of Arizona for five years, and we won the national championship in '76. And then I came over, so I, I had I was really schooled well. Uh, I was one of the four. I think when God made me, He said, "I'm going to have to put him in some big time classrooms." And truly, uh, people would be hard pressed to find the better classrooms. I, you know, was Samson, the ancient that uh, the field was named after him in Arizona, and then Jerry Kendall came in and. Uh, and then I came with Ron Polk, and then I came with Tom Chandler at, at Texas A&M for a year. And so I had, I was a real school. It was it was a great school. But Ron was an outstanding coach. I mean, I learned a whole lot from him. He was so active, had so many things. But uh, he was uh, when you put his whole package together, 
he may have been the best one there. Uh, you know, as good as all of those coaches are, and I don't think Ron was the best at any one of them, but, but when you put the package together, uh, yeah, he probably was. Uh, you know, when you put your dugout clubs, you put your facilities, and you put your organization uh, and your representation of your university, all those things that go together. He was very active in the American Baseball Coaches Association. And uh, matter of fact, I got, I'm looking at a picture right now on my wall, and there's five of us that uh, four four coaches plus Ron that were president of the association. And that's a that's a feather in Ron's cap because we followed him and uh, and tried to do the things that he did and uh, so I, I I learned a whole lot uh, everywhere I went uh, but certainly with Ron his organization skills were just outstanding I think the, what I, I when I tried to narrow down what made him so good uh, I think uh, he drilled the guys so so well in practice they just felt like they were prepared they were always were ready and. They knew what they were supposed to do and comfortable with it. And uh, and I think uh, that was one of the pluses uh, they expected to win. Without being real cocky or having a real attitude, uh, it, that was the thought uh, that we're going to win. We're expected to win. It's kind of transitioning to the work you're doing now. You get a chance to sit in the booth and cover Texas A&M. And it was interesting coming into the season – Bart and I were talking about the teams that benefit so much from having guys back because of the shortened major league draft. Texas A&M lost, I think, three guys in the top 50 picks of that shortened draft last year. How do you see this kind of extra year of eligibility that's taken place? How has that impacted Texas A&M this season? Well, if you were the only one that was happening to, it would be it would be great uh, that you got the returning players. I think we have three uh, that, and, and they're starters. You know, they're they're playing, but everybody else has two. So you have, uh, you know, when you say, "Man, we're really lucky we have this," well, so did some of the other teams. They they got good guys, but certainly uh, lost uh, some really quality players. And Asa Lacy, first round draft pick, fourth guy pick uh, by Kansas City. I mean, he was, uh, you know, obviously a blue chip Friday nighter. And, and I always feel like if you got an extra, extra Friday nighter that's really good, uh, he can discourage those hitters for Saturday and Sunday. And that's true. You, you may think that's funny, uh, but hitting's that way. You know, if somebody blows you off, blows you out uh, at the plate, you know, you start, you know, wondering about your swing and start making some adjustments or something and it can make a difference. But yeah, it made a difference. Uh, certainly, uh, it wasn't that we were empty this year uh, with pitching. We have we have good pitching, uh, but Ace Lacy was really special. Talking to former Mississippi State assistant, former head coach at Texas A and M. He's on the SEC Network Plus broadcast at Texas A and M. Mark Johnson and Coach, flip the page and look at the offensive side. When when you look at Texas A&M over the last several years, you start talking about you know guys at the top of the order all the way through the order that can just flat out hit. Really at the top right now, you know Frizzell, you got Alejo, guys hitting over three hundred. What's the, what's kind of the take of of Texas A&M at the plate right now? Well, the the offense hasn't uh, isn't as good as we had hoped at this time. I think everyone would say that, but it could you know of course the season's not over, so they're still there. But some some really good outstanding uh, players and hitters. Will Frizzell is my favorite as far as just a, a blue chip hitter. I think he can really hit. I, I think he's in about three thirty, three thirty five right now. 
uh, and he's um, he's the guy that can get pitched around if the other guys aren't hitting good. But he's got power. Uh, I think he's got 13 home runs now, and uh, 13 or 14. But and of course, he's the, the RBI guy, and uh, he's really special. But got to, you know, Boast is coming on, and uh, he'll be on out there. And uh, Alejo, uh, I like him in the lineup. I like him in the leadoff spot. Uh, Boast is good in the in any of the two or the four. Uh, but he he's moved it around quite a bit. Uh, you know, he has areas where uh, he puts uh, puts uh, some of his hitters. Uh, he's had Harrison, the, the um, shortstop, Kali. He's been in the nine hole and then the eight hole once. But uh, he he, he uh, he's a good guy in the back of the order and has done a really good job. And he's a freshman, outstanding defensive player. Uh, and so it's fun to watch him play. And uh, he's learning. Uh, he's probably, uh, I think I said on the telecast last week, for me, uh, he may be the most improved player on the the Aggie team. Uh, but he just keeps keeps going. And then he has a, a bunch of different guys that he puts in trying to find hot bats. And uh, Hunter Coleman is a returner. has been, I think it was his fifth year. He's a graduate. And uh, uh, he's, he's, he's skilled. And I, I like his bat pop in it. So he's in and out. There's there's quite a few of them are doing pretty good. I think the batting averages will tell you who's who's really doing well and who's struggling a little bit. Uh, I think uh, I'm sure Rob would like to have a little bit more uh, consistency with some of the the offensive players, but they're a good group. They work hard at it. But I but Frizzell would be the guy I like the best. Uh, not that I don't like the other guys, but he's he's got some pretty good talent. I think back to all the changes that have taken place in college baseball facilities and everything since your time in Starkville. You know, here we've gone from wooden bleachers and dugouts that were actually dug deep into the ground to an incredible stadium. Texas A&M's got a stadium. I'm wondering with that growth in baseball, and now we're starting to see some contraction in the minor league system, do you think college baseball is at a point where it's just going to get even better? Yeah, I do. I think uh, the, I think Major League really played a big card uh, by uh, you know shutting down the draft a little bit, you know, the five rounds and and taking away some of the minor league programs. Basically, saying we're going to let those guys get schooled at the college level, and we're we're looking at it. And and I and I haven't seen it in writing, but it's there. The kids are out of high school; they're going to get into a better facility in a lot of cases uh, because of the uh, facility boom that we've had in the last 20, 25 years. Uh, and some of it uh, led by Texas A&M and uh, Mississippi State uh, with the great facilities. But there's a lot of good ones. And so, uh, you know, the minor league people, they can say, you know, he can, they can go to college. They can be in a controlled environment. And, and I, I say that a little bit loud because controlled environment means you know, uh, after the 11 o'clock ball game, uh, you know, you're, you, you'll be home. We can control that. And in minor leagues, sometimes it doesn't get controlled, and that's where problems happen. And uh, But not, I'm not saying it's terrible. I played minor league baseball, and I had a great experience, so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But I think they played a hand and said, we really think colleges are really doing a great job of schooling the uh, the young people and playing in good facilities and stuff and good, good programs. So I, I think uh, that's uh, going to continue to grow, and I think it, it's a lot cheaper for minor leagues uh, for professional baseball to 
put it into uh, put their money into the development of players in the college level. I'm not talking about just the large colleges. I'm talking about smaller colleges. Uh, it's just a, a great environment, and the coaching has improved tremendously. You know, and I think when I when I started, you know, I, I think there was uh, there was one bo- two books out. I think the uh, coach up in Minnesota had a book out. I think the coach at Duke had one, and then I think Ted Williams uh, had a book. And there, but there, there weren't any videos and, and stuff like that out there. We didn't have clinics, you know, and I, I think the camps and stuff, I don't remember camps. There might have been some going on, but there was very little schooling for the coaches. I mean, I can talk to you a long time about the things that I did as a young coach. Uh, I mean, I had no idea, uh, really. And, and I was just trying to imitate what it was like for me when I went back on a fly ball or a and my crow step and the throw and all these things. But, you know, it's improved so much, and then the schooling's out there, and it's just really good. And so I, I think the development of player physically is really impressive. I'm not so sure mentally and emotionally we've gained a whole lot of ground, uh, but I, I do think uh, we've certainly gained uh, some knowledge of uh, the skills. Coach, we appreciate you. Before we let you go, if you're coming into Aggieland – would you rather have a, a, a burger from Copy, or would you rather drive over to Lexington and go to Snow's Barbecue? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I have to tell you, I had a, a Copy hamburger last night. So that right now, that's where I'm at. You know, it, whatever happened the last bite, that's probably where I'm going to be at. But listen, I appreciate you all calling, and uh, and I know you're doing a good job, and I know you're selling the Bulldogs well, and. Uh, and I, I hope the best team wins this weekend. Coach, appreciate you. Always great to talk with you. All righty. And that's Mark Johnson. Spent seven years, actually six years, at Mississippi State before heading out to College Station to take over as a head coach of the Aggies back in the mid-1980s. i tell you what, Charlie, you will not find anybody that has anything negative to say about Mark Johnson. He was a fantastic baseball coach, but just an unbelievable man. And really made a mark during some of those important years for Mississippi State through the late 70s, early 80s. I want to be sure, though, I've not heard this story about Ron Polk in the 81 World Series. So what went down? Monday was getting squeezed a little bit. What happened there? So what Coach Polk said was, it was, I think, in like the third inning. Monday, who had pitched in the 79 World Series, and so it's, it's not like it was new to him. So he gets out there. We're playing against Michigan. It's the first day of the College World Series. May have been the first game of the first session of the College World Series. And that was really the first time that if you argued balls and strikes, it was really that was the first time that really come into play. If you argue balls and strikes, it's an automatic ejection. And Monday was out there. And he was kind of a, a guy that was that never showed up an umpire, but he was kind of wincing because he thought he was getting squeezed. And so Coach Polk was going to go out and try to calm Don Mundy down. And so he walks out the home plate to explain to the umpire, hey, I'm going to call timeout and go out there and talk to my pitcher about some of these pitches. And the umpire was cleaning off the plate, and Coach Polk was like, I'm sure the guy didn't hear me, and he didn't hear me right. And he looked at him and said, you can't argue balls and strikes. You're out of here. And Coach Polk was like, I didn't, I'm not arguing balls and strikes. I'm just telling you I want to call timeout to go out and talk to my pitcher to try to calm him down. And he says, well, I've already thrown you out. You're already gone. To which that 
laid into, a, I think, a, a dirt kicking, screaming fit. I was going to say, you don't mean to suggest that he did anything other than calmly return to the dugout and accept I, the ejection, do you? I, I, I don't think he accepted it real well to the point that I don't think the umpire, from what I understand, worked another game in the College World Series. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty bad. So Mark Johnson became the head coach in that game, and you heard him talk about it a moment ago. Monday threw a six-hit shutout. Mark Gillespie hits a three-run home run. We win four to nothing. And Mark Johnson says, hey, I didn't have to make a single move in the game. <laughs> and we we won four to nothing in 1981. That's funny. That's beautiful. Well, good stuff as always. This conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Police and Sausage. Charlie and I will come back and talk to Will Clark, former Mississippi State player, 1983, 1985. Of course, had a great career in the big leagues. Let's talk a little hitting with Will Clark. Will the Thrill Clark right after this on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Well, a great conversation just a minute ago with Mark Johnson, former head coach at Texas A&M. And now we go back to the phones. And this is brought to you by Heartland Catfish. Heartland producing the finest farm-raised catfish in the world. Over in Itabina, Mississippi, you can go to your local grocer, but they also have it at the great restaurants around the southeast. And one of those restaurants and one of the only great reasons to go to Lafayette County, I, I joke, I, I like going up there every now and then, especially if you went up there. But in Taylor, the old Taylor Grocery, where they fry all that catfish, everybody stands out the doors, they're waiting on that great catfish. Well, that catfish comes from Heartland Catfish, and so they get the best catfish at Taylor Grocery in Taylor, Mississippi, just south of Oxford. In this conversation, brought to you by Heartland Catfish. So let's go to the phones and talk to one of the all-time greats at Mississippi State. Will Clark joins us, and Will, you know, Looking back at how you got to start, well, and I know you've talked about it before about being drafted in the fourth round by the Royals out of high school. And, and in that day and age, a lot of guys did not go to college when they were drafted so high. What made you make that decision to come to Mississippi State? How close were you to going professional sports? And why Mississippi State? You know, I got drafted in the fourth round and was negotiating with the Royals, and I wanted them to. Uh, pay for my college education because at some point I figured I'd go back and, uh, you know, get college education. They wouldn't kind of pay for it. So that kind of led me to uh, get away from that end of things. I was 18 years old and never been away from home. Mississippi State was about four hours from the house and I could get off and grow up, be a man and uh, play a little bit better competition than all the guys I've been playing against since I've been eight years old. And uh, looking back on it, you know, all these years later, the best decision I ever made. Well, a lot of times when we look back at Mississippi State baseball as fans, we want to talk about 1985, sometimes about 1984. Bart and I have had a lot of fun over the years, though, talking about that 1983 team. And I think about when you kind of took over at first base, we played some good baseball at the end of the year. And we've argued that it seems as much as anything that 83 team really set the stage for the success we had in the future. I'm curious, do you share that view? And if so, what are your big memories of that 83 team? Well, one thing about the 83 team was you had some new guys coming in, myself and Raphael, some other uh, players. And uh, we had quite a few veterans on that team and kind of showed us the way, you know, how to be a college baseball player, you know, how to represent Mississippi State, how to go out there and and walk out on the field and know you're going to win. You know, we made the 
the playoffs that year. Needless to say, we didn't we didn't advance any further. We ran into a good Texas club, you know, led by by Roger Clemens and Calvin Chiraldi. But kind of what you said, I think that that '83 team set the stage for '84 and '85, and just knowing when we walked out on the field what we were expected to do, and then going out there and getting it done. You know, looking back on it, I mean, I really I really enjoyed playing with some of the veterans that I played with. You know, for that for that year. Talking to Will Clark, former first baseman at Mississippi State, and, of course, went on to the big leagues. Will, when you look back at your time at Mississippi State, what's the first thing you think of? What's the memory that you have? Is it teammates? Is it a certain weekend? Is it Coach Polk? I mean, when you think of Bulldog baseball, what's that first thought? First thought would be the atmosphere. Uh, You know, going, you know, being a college baseball player, running out there, playing in front of 10,000, 14,000, whatever it was that day, and, having the support that we had from the fan base. Playing the baseball was the easy part, but getting a chance to meet all the fans and, and see how adamant they were about supporting Mississippi State baseball, it was, it was pretty uh, pretty awe-inspiring. We look back, and there are some college coaches over the years who it looks like all their hitters need to have the same swing at the plate. From afar, it looked like Coach Polk kind of let everybody be their own individual self and, and find their own swing. What was it like playing for Coach Polk, particularly when you came in already playing at such a high level? You know, I credit I credit Coach Polk with about everything that I could as far as me learning the game of baseball, where to be, what position to be in, you know, going over the playbook, running the drills that we ran every day. Um, as far as hitting goes, he he had turned it over to one of his assistant coaches, and the guy wanted me to try some different things. You know, I I kind of wasn't having any problems. I wasn't having any uh, you know issues up at the plate. So I turned around, went to Coach Polk, and I was like, Hey, uh, you know, I'm swinging the bat pretty good here, and they want me to change. I said, I'm not real comfortable. I said, I'm getting the pitches I want, and you know, I'm I'm doing what I want to do with them. And he said, Don't change a thing until you fail. So I'm like, Sounds good to me. And uh, the next two years kind of just tightened up the swing a little bit more and uh, all of a sudden you look up and you're a first round draft choice and you're in pro ball. Talking to Will Clark and you play with a couple guys you you talk about Ron Polk but you also talk about a a guy like Roger Craig who was you know just a beast of a man in baseball in the 1980s and 1990s. When you look at the coaches that you had when you talk about a Ron Polk and then a Roger Craig are there any similarities between the two, or what are the big contrasts between the two? You know, the the similarities were, you know, they wanted to win. Uh, they were very well prepared for the ball games, uh, and they got you prepared and your teammates as well. Uh, they differed in kind of their approach. Uh, Ron was more textbook, fundamental type of baseball, and Roger Craig was sometimes fly by the seat of the pants type of guy. So you had to adjust to the two styles. But in the end, it was being prepared and going out there on the field and winning. Bart and I were talking earlier today about our big memories of Will Clark as a professional baseball player. And for me, obviously, there's the home run off Nolan Ryan down the Astrodome and then that series with the Cubs in the playoffs. What's your fondest memory of your time in the pros? Uh, You know, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, how can you ever expect to, have your first at bat in the major leagues, be off of Nolan Ryan and hit a home run. Uh, you know, that's first off. And then second off, you know, as, as kids growing up, when you, you know, we're always, you know, playing wiffle ball in the backyard. We're always, you know, three, two bottom of the ninth bases loaded. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to uh, live that literally in person. So, uh, 
it's it's pretty amazing that those two situations happened in my life and was able to succeed in both of those situations. But then also, you know, you, you think of being in pro ball, you played every day. I played every day and uh, learning from the mistakes you made and trying to become a better ball player from those mistakes. Talking to Will Clark and, and Will, you talk about being in the backyard and growing up as a kid around the game of baseball. Where did your swing come from? You know, up until probably my junior year in high school, I was a stand on top of the plate, bailing whale guy. And uh, I could get away with it, you know, with high school pitching and had pretty decent hand-eye coordination. And then I went with a gentleman by the name of Barry Butera in between my junior and senior year in high school. And he backed me off the plate and he closed me up a little bit. Same swing, but, you know, that just general approach through the middle of the field and using the other part of the field, using left field for me. Uh, really took the holes that I had and made them a lot smaller, made me a tougher out, covered the plate a lot easier. So, you know, I credit Barry with that. And then when I got into pro ball, I, I took the same basic approach. And Dusty Baker and I, who was my hitting instructor for five years, we just tightened it up even more. So we took the same approach and just cut out a little movement here and a little movement there and added a little rock in there for timing. And all of a sudden, you know, to – the swing that you saw in person just came about itself. Well, you obviously were known for hitting with power, but when I, th- I think of you, I think of a guy who is a complete hitter. And then I pull up some stats today, and you see that Major League Baseball, one of the lowest batting averages through the month of April in decades, OPS is down. All these things starting to really swing in favor of the pitchers. Is it that pitchers are getting better, or do you think hitters are losing sight of the ability, like you said, to take a ball to left field and and to hit for average? I totally agree with what you just said right there. I mean, you know, you know, hitting's about making adjustments, and and guys now, especially in the major leagues, uh, they're pretty sedentary in their ways, and they're not willing to make adjustments, and they're not willing to become better hitters. They'll just kind of take how they are in the big leagues. And uh, I was not that guy, you know. If I hit 270 I wanted to hit 280 if I hit 280 I wanted to hit 300 so I worked at my game every day you know I made the adjustments necessary a lot of these guys do not do that and that's why you're seeing the game trending the way it is you know the game is headed more towards high fastballs and you have to do things mechanically different than you do hitting a low fastball unless you do it you're going to be walking back to the dugout which you're seeing a lot of guys do now and I make fun of it, but it's the truth. I mean, uh, 260 or 265, you know, is the new 300. And I keep telling everybody, you hit 265 my era, you're going back down to AAA. Talking to Will Clark, absolutely. So along those lines, Will, with the difference in pitching and hitting philosophies, one of the hot-button topics right now in Major League Baseball, they're looking at how to possibly enter it into the minor leagues, is the shifts. And what are your thoughts about you know, Major League Baseball and how you know, about limiting shifts? Do you like the shift? Do you want it to see it go away? Do you want it to see it limited? What is your idea of the shift now in, in baseball in general? Well, as, as a hitter, I mean, you don't want everybody on one side of the field. But also, you know, as a common sense type of baseball player, it's like, hey, if he can't hit the ball left, I'm going to put everybody over there and right. You know, I, I have this argument with, with some of our hitters, you know, and I have it on a daily basis. It's like, unless you figure out how to hit a ground ball a shortstop, uh, they're going to keep putting everybody in right field and you're going to hit 250. And uh, sure enough, I mean, and that goes back to what we were talking about, you know, in the previous question. If you don't make adjustments, you are easy to be pitched to. 
you are a guy who has a pattern. You are a guy who has big holes. And all I got to do as a pitcher is get it there. And if you make an adjustment on me and you cut the holes down, you start hitting the ball the other way, well, I can't play seven guys on that side of the field. I got to play you more straight up. So, you know, it, it has a lot to do with the stubborn mentality of the hitters today. Well, I think back to your time in college baseball really was kind of starting to come into its own. You think back guys who were well-known, Barry Larkin, B.J. Surhoff, Odeby McDowell, and then you. I mean, you're right there at the forefront of the growth of the sport. How pleasing is it to you to look back now and see what college baseball, what these stadiums have become, and do you like where you see the college game headed? I do like it. I do like it a lot. I mean, you look at Mississippi State back in the 80s and you see what Ron Polk and his teams did and then all of a sudden Skip Bertman takes over at LSU and you see what his teams did in the in the late 80s and 90s and you know all of a sudden these new stadiums started popping up and the whole SEC you know started getting a lot better uh look at Vanderbilt look at Georgia you know guys like that started getting a lot better baseball programs stadiums the whole facilities the whole works and you know, I credit that to Ron Polk and, and ultimately Skip Bertman for making the SEC and college baseball much better than it was, you know, when we played. But, you know, I just like the way the game's going. We're seeing uh, a lot of college guys getting drafted, especially high in a draft because the pros want more polished players. All right, Will. Hey, we appreciate it, man. We know you're busy. Appreciate you taking your time. Before we let you go, one quick question. If you had a chance to bird hunt, elk hunt, deer hunt, what's your first choice? Uh, I am going to go deer hunting because that's pretty deep-rooted in my heart, but the first thing I ever did in my life was dove hunt. You give me a good dove hunt, <laughs> I'll, that trumps that trumps anything. So anybody in Mississippi, come that uh, first week in September, they want the thrill to show up, all you got to do is invite me. I'll be there. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, if you're going out on the boat, are you going speckled trout or are you going red? Speckle trout, best eating fisher is. No doubt. Hey, Will, appreciate you. Good to talk to you. Gentlemen, y'all have a great day, and uh, go Bulldog Nation. Pull for them pull for them dogs, get them in the World Series, and let's win this thing. And that's Will Clark. Charlie, you going to go dove hunting with Will Clark? You know, I'm not much of a hunter, but I might would tag along just, just to hear the stories because you know that guy's got some. Oh, uh, you know he's got some. And here's the thing about Will. He's not afraid to share them. But he was he was so excited about about talking to us. A member of the Ring of Honor, uh, the Ron Polk Ring of Honor. We have another Ring of Honor presentation this weekend. But I tell you what, there's a guy in the mid '80s, early '90s, who was a major factor in Major League Baseball. I used to have that poster that had willpower, where he's hitting the the ball and it's coming out of the seams. I had that on my door in my bedroom. And man, Will was such a, a big part of. So many guys our age really fought in love with Mississippi State baseball, and it was great to talk to Will. And that conversation brought to you by Heartland Catfish. Once again, you can get Heartland at your local grocer, but at the old Taylor Grocery in Taylor, Mississippi, if you're ever in the Oxford area, it's always great to go and eat that great catfish after a Bulldog win. But check them out. Old Taylor Grocery, great catfish, and it comes from Heartland Catfish. Charlie and I will be back with a final word right here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.
But welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Great conversation with Will Clark right there. Always great to talk to Will. It's a good conversation as well with Mark Johnson early on. You talk about two guys that you know, kind of contrast the styles, two guys that really understand baseball, two guys that are good guys, but they kind of deliver it a different way. Mark Johnson's that good old laid-back guy. You got Will, who's just the he's, – he's the Louisiana guy, loves to hunt and fish, but two guys that really made their mark on Mississippi State baseball. They did. You and I spend so much time talking about Pat McMahon. He was that pitching coach, the big assistant coach when kind of in our years growing up. The guys who are just a little bit older than us, though, hold that same reverence for Mark Johnson. He was a guy very instrumental in getting Mississippi State going. And I think one of the things you have to remember, too, at that time, there were only two full-time coaches. So it was Ron Polk and Mark Johnson and then some graduate assistant coaches. They had to do a ton of work to put everything together back in that late 70s, early 80s run. Okay, yesterday the NCAA came out. Kendall Rogers reported this, so I don't know if they've actually said this or not, but the baseball committee has said they're going to take 20 spots as far as regional host spots in the next couple of weeks. They're going to say, okay, these are your your 20 finalists, and then the day before the selection on Monday, they're going to name the 16. So they're going to put together a pool of 20, and 16 are going to get the nod a month from now. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the whole thing has been handled in a fairly ridiculous manner, and I can't decide whether to give them credit for building in some flexibility and listening to people or coming up with dumb ideas to begin with. I don't like the moving target aspect of it. Bottom line, though, unless things just completely fall apart, we're going to be hosting in Startville. And if we aren't hosting it's going to be on us. It's not going to be because of a committee or anybody else. It's going to be because we didn't do well in the time of the year, a part of our schedule that is set up for us to do well. Some other states are beginning to lift their restrictions as far as outdoor. Tennessee is lifting theirs. LSU beginning this weekend. How about that? LSU and Arkansas playing in Baton Rouge this weekend, and they're at 100% capacity in Alex Box for the first time this year. And so then when you go to the the NCAA tournament, they've come out and said 50% capacity, which that's going to cause some real angst among a lot of people in the next couple months about when you start reducing the capacity for NCAA regionals. So let's look at this weekend in SEC baseball. You've got a couple Thursday night series that begin tonight, Auburn at Georgia, Kentucky at Tennessee. And then you look elsewhere around the SEC this weekend, Missouri's at Alabama, Arkansas at LSU, Auburn at Georgia, Vandy is on the road at Florida, and then you got South Carolina at Ole Miss this weekend, and of course we're at home against Texas A&M. So just looking at how everything shakes out, you know, State is two games behind Arkansas. LSU's beginning to heat up a little bit. They won two of three this past weekend at Ole Miss, and so hey, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see LSU get hot, win two out of three against Arkansas. But, 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 but. Before I let you talk, talk, Charlie, I'm sorry. I would hate to pitch to that Arkansas lineup in Alex Box Stadium this time of year. Oh, yeah, that is not ideal at all, particularly when you have lost one of your better pitchers. Now, the other team sitting there atop the SEC, we just saw them, Vanderbilt, they've got to go on the road. They've got to play down at Florida. We've kind of forgotten about Florida because everybody was picking them right at the top of the league. They're sitting there right where we are, about two games back. If Florida takes two, we sweep, then all of a sudden that gap is just a little bit tighter. Do we need to call Dan? 
put the football players on top of the dugouts down there. <laughs> you know, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> hey, if we're going to poke the bear, let's poke the bear. Absolutely. Let's go at it. So, yeah, this weekend you're kind of getting in that stretch run right now. You know, Tennessee is a team that has really – play themselves into an opportunity to do some some damage late in the season. Tony Vitello's done a great job up there. Kentucky, Nick Mangione going to Tennessee this weekend. That's a big weekend for Kentucky. They've kind of fallen back a little bit. They started out 5-1 and one in league play. They're now 9-9. Nine and nine. So kind of look at that one because Tennessee is a game up on state right now. So you talk about Florida maybe doing some damage with Vanderbilt this weekend. But look at Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee really, and Tennessee goes to Missouri next week. I mean, they've really got things kind of set up for them over the next couple of weeks to make a move in SEC play. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. But all of a sudden, it's so easy to look at schedules and say, this team has a better record. They should win. Games still have to be played. And we've said this before, there's going to be a lot of good teams kind of at that break-even level in this league. I think we're still a lot to learn about a lot of these teams. Well, we just got to take care of business ourselves. State and Texas A&M this weekend in Starkville. Of course, Friday night, 630. You get me and Charlie on the SEC Network Plus. Oh, no, I will not be here this weekend. Oh, you're not? Oh, it's Wyatt, right? Yeah, you got uh, Radio Wyatt with you this weekend. Okay. All right, so it's me and Matt on Friday. That's right, I forgot about that. So it's me and Matt on Friday. You see how much you know we, we put into getting ready for the weekend. And then on Saturday, A&M and State, that's a 2 o'clock start on the SEC Network Plus. And then on the SEC Network, I'm not sure who's doing a game on Sunday, that's a 2 o'clock start here in Starkville, Texas A&M and State and at the, to end that three-game series. So big weekend coming up, graduation weekend right now. There's a couple of graduation ceremonies today. Starkville's kind of <laughs> blowing up right now with people trying to wait to get into restaurants. It's kind of that fun time here at graduation time here in Startwell, Mississippi. So, guys, hey, we appreciate you listening to us. Thanks to our friends at Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com, and you can find the best service of any insurance carrier in the state of Mississippi. Once again, thanks to our fine friends at Country Pleasing Sausage down in Florence at Country Meat Packers and Heartland Catfish. For Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Hey, before we go... We appreciate the reviews from Sam in Michigan. Sam in Michigan left a great review talking about how, and Sam, thank you. If you're listening to today's show, Sam in Michigan, thank you. Just looking for a baseball podcast, and he says, hey, I kind of like Mississippi State now just by listening to these two guys. So Yeah, it was really cool. We got one. We reel one in for you. Hey, appreciate you guys listening. For Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory saying so long. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.